my wife Lindsay and I uh, stopped in Palo Alto at Gott's Roadside Restaurant for lunch a few weeks back. Uh, see, it was a favorite of ours, uh, the location at the Ferry Building in San Francisco when we moved here just over five years ago from Indiana. And it's become a reminder to us of all that God has brought us through. And on that day, we needed a reminder because we were anxious. Lindsay had just gone through a second day of medical tests and we waited for the results and we finished lunch and still nothing had come through and so we decided to pack up and head home and just down the road, her phone rang. The doctor had called immediately uh, once the results had released from the lab. And it was clear from the methodical detail that the news was not good. Lindsay was diagnosed with a medical diagnosis that required immediate attention. Uh, the results were suspicious but not conclusive. And we had two options. One, she could take a medication that would address the issue, but it had serious long-term risks. Or, uh, well, and also, the effectiveness of the medication decreased the longer that we waited. Our second option was to wait. But if the situation became critical, she would require emergency surgery that would put her life at risk. The doctor urged us to make a decision that day. We were stunned. Lindsay said we would discuss it and call back, but really, we spent much of the trip home in silence. I mean, what do you say in that situation? And I've been through difficult times in my life before. My dad passed away unexpectedly in 2005, and, and Lindsay and I have been through miscarriages, and, and we've all been through the isolation and the difficulties of the last year. But now Lindsay and I had to make one of the most difficult decisions. Last week, we had a guest speaker from Foster the Bay uh, who talked about giving hope. And if you find yourself in a season where God has positioned you to give hope, I would encourage you to listen to that message. This week's message is about needing hope. And to my knowledge, this was not a coordinated effort on the part of Eden. But I also believe it's not a coincidence. Because there is such a strong relationship between giving hope and needing hope. That I believe God coordinated these messages to happen back to back. Let me give you an example. I became a fan of soccer because of the U.S. men's national team. And just a few weeks back, uh, there was another chapter written in this in classic matchup between the United States and Mexico. And the U.S. managed to take Mexico into overtime, even though their primary goalkeeper went down with an injury early in the second half. And this is bad, right? Like, the goalkeeper is um, like American football's quarterback. You know, there's not a lot of people that can fill that position. And the drop-off in skill set between your primary and your backup 
can be steep. But the U.S. jumped out to a lead in overtime off of a penalty kick, which is this one-on-one -on -one matchup between the best shooter and the goalkeeper. But not long after, the U.S. was called for a penalty, and that resulted in a penalty kick for Mexico. So now you have Mexico's best goalkeeper, or best penalty taker against the U.S. backup goalkeeper. The odds were stacked heavily in favor of Mexico. And in that moment, I saw the relationship between giving hope and needing hope played out, right? <laughs> I mean, first of all, you had everybody at home, you know, standing, clapping, yelling at the TV. Okay, maybe most of that was just me, but let's go to the stadium uh, in Denver, right? Filled with fans from both U U.S. and from Mexico, just cheering, trying to give their team hope. And the further that we zoom in, the level of influence is increasing. So down on the field, the teams were jockeying, trying to give their teammates the advantage. But the image that stands out to me the most in that moment is that in the midst of the chaos of the moment, a leader on the U.S. side walked toward the goalkeeper and encouraged him to stay focused. Everyone to this point is giving hope. The one needing hope is the backup goalkeeper. <laughs> He's the one standing in the net, waiting for the ball to come flying at him. His view of what was possible had every bit of impact on the outcome. He couldn't guarantee a win. But if he gave up hope in that moment, he conceded the goal before it was ever kicked. Well, the Mexico's player kicked the ball. And with confident hope, the backup goalkeeper hesitated, gained a clear view of the ball, and blocked the penalty kick. And the U.S. went on to win the game. And Jesus shared a parable about having hope in the midst of uncertainty with his disciples. And for that, we'll look at Matthew 25. And feel free to go there now, um, but we'll also have the passages on screen. And while you're finding that, I do just want to take a moment to note that everything that I'm sharing with you today has been coordinated with my wife, right? I, this is not an easy story to tell. And... Uh, I really appreciate her willingness to share this story. So in Matthew 25, we'll take a look at the parable of the talents. Another translation calls this the parable of the bags of gold. And like this, like other parables, is a fictional story. And it's intended to deliver a specific message. And when studying in a parable, the meaning is more important than the literal conveyance. So to have a bit of fun... I'm going to switch up the characters to make them a little more Silicon Valley. So instead of master, I'll use investor. Instead of servant, I'll use uh, startup founder or founder. And the last switch up is to use millions instead of talents or bags of gold. 
So the meaning of a parable is driven by the context. So the, pa- the parable of the million starts out with the phrase, for it will be like. Well, what is it? The context actually begins in Matthew 21, but don't worry, I have the highlights. The first thing you need to know is that Jesus is just days away from being crucified on the cross. And so he comes to Jerusalem like royalty, right? The coats and the palm branches line the ground, and and he goes to the temple, and he flips some tables, and this kicks off this battle between the Pharisees and Jesus. Now, the Pharisees are this politically adjacent religious group. They had, uh, Rome was actually in charge of the region, but the Pharisees had significant political influence because they were the religious leaders. And it ends with this moment where Jesus turns to the crowd and he says, do as the Pharisees say, but not as they do, because they are hypocrites. And he issues a bunch of warnings to the Pharisees, and he drops the mic, and he leaves the temple. And and the disciples or followers, they pick up their jaws off the floor, and they catch up to Jesus. And they're like, wow, the temple, you know, they're trying to get more information about the temple. And, And he just stops them. And he's like, look, all of this is going to be gone one day. And he foretells the end of days. And the disciples were like, Okay, well, when is this going to happen? (laughs) I mean, wouldn't we all like to know? But Jesus saw that they missed the point, right? And he goes on to tell a string of parables that tells them, uh, and all believers, how they should view what is to come. So given this context, here are the character relationships between this fictional story and reality. The investor is Jesus. The startup founders are religious leaders, and the talents, the bags of gold, the millions, the thing that Jesus most highly values is the church. Matthew 25, 14 through 18 says, For it will be like an investor going on a journey, who called startup founders and entrusted to them his money. To one he gave five million, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. And then he went away. He who had received the five million went at once and traded with it and made five million more. And he who had received the two made two million more. But the one who had received the one million went and dug in the ground and hid the investor's money. Now you might think, if I just had the five million rather than the one million, it would be so much easier. And I I believe this opinion comes out of struggle. And here in the Bay Area, I know that the line between being financially sound and destitute is razor thin. A vehicle getting towed, an unexpected medical bill, or a global pandemic can mean the difference between being able to pay for essentials or living in your car, if you have one. And if you find yourself towing this line, I want you to know that I see you. And Eden sees you. And we have a benevolence team that seeks to meet emergency needs through the gracious donations of this community. However, I want you to also know that this is not the context of this passage. 
There is, uh, these founders are not putting their own money on the line. They were given the money to invest. And even more so, the ones that had more didn't hold anything back. They put everything on the line. And this parable is also not about competition. There is no indication that the founders were trying to outdo one another. They each made choices based upon what they were given without consideration of what anyone else was doing. So after a long period of time, the investor came back and the founders had to account for their work. And one by one, the the founders presented their gains and one by one, the investor congratulated them on their success until it came to the last founder. And we'll pick it up in verse 24. He also had received the one million came forward saying, Sir, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and I hid your million in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But the investor answered him, you wicked and slothful founder. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take from him the million And give it to the one who has 10 million. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless founder into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now I had trouble following the logic of the founder. However, the reasoning is essential to understanding the decision. So let's break down the logic. He says, I knew you to be a hard man. The founder viewed the investor as a shrewd business person. This was the foundation of the relationship between these two individuals. And he continues, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And from the perspective of the founder, the investor doesn't know what it's like. He's not on the ground doing the dirty work. He doesn't understand the volatility of the market. He just throws his money around and expects the results. So I was afraid. There it is. The founder based his decision in fear. And he tried to shield that truth by deflecting blame to the investor. And he tried to give excuse for it by blaming the market. But the core problem is fear. And the investor picked up on this immediately. In fact, he even reframes the founder's logic to indicate that it should have given him hope. He says, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? I mean, it's clear that the investor has a reputation of success. Essentially, he said, you knew that the investments I make are pure gold. They're virtually guaranteed, and I invested in you. 
And you chose to, out of fear, bury it in the ground. And you took away any potential for it to grow. During last week's message, there was a video of a woman named Britton who shared about taking in her first uh, foster kids with Foster the Bay. And it ended abruptly, and she felt like she failed. But later she realized that failure would have been taking God's grace and burying it in the ground. And as soon as she said that, I, was, I looked straight at my wife and I was like, One, because I knew that was a direct reference to the parable I was talking about today. Two, because she's absolutely right. The founder could have tried and failed. And that wasn't failure. Failure was taking the money and buried it in the ground and robbing everyone of its benefit. Lindsay and I had an impossible decision ahead of us. And I say we, but really, Lindsay was the one standing in the net, waiting for the ball to come flying at her. And I was the teammate, trying to encourage her to have hope. In the midst of the chaos, we knew we had teammates working to give us the advantage. See, a couple weeks prior, Kayla and Sopa, uh, who are part of the team here at Eden, talked about Esther's choice to step out, even at the risk of her own life. And something that stood out to Lindsay and I from that message was that Esther asked her community to pray for her, even before she knew the outcome. And it's because of that story we opened up to some close friends about what was happening and asked them to pray for us. And we knew we had a community surrounding us, rooting us on, standing on our side. Well before that moment came, we sensed we were entering a challenging season. And Lindsay filled out her Connect card to ask for prayer as we stepped into a season of big faith. We didn't realize how much faith we would need. In the face of adversity, we're surrounded by a community encouraging us. And it is in these moments that it's important, it's an important reminder of how good it is to be part of a community that gives hope. Her phone rang again. The doctor called to see if we had a decision. I mean, she had none of the common symptoms, but it was possible for the symptoms to onset quickly. And the test results were suspicious, but they weren't conclusive. The odds felt stacked 
against us. Even so, everything inside both of us felt that the doctor's suspicions were wrong. And I listened to my wife in faith and hope put her life on the line. She chose to wait for another round of tests the next day, but it was clear by the end of the call that if the results were still inconclusive, the doctor would press us to take action. She hung up and we grieved. We had no idea if we made the right choice. The entire night was an ongoing prayer. We did call our parents to let them know. We didn't want them to be blindsided in case something went wrong. And we did a ton of research with Dr. Google. <laughs> I even put together these projections of the test results, right? I'm a nerd, sorry. <laughs> you know, what the results would look like if, uh, if the diagnosis was correct and if the di diagnosis was incorrect. But really, our hope, our prayer that night was that God would take the decision from us. It's as close as I've ever felt to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he prayed for God for a way other than the cross. The results were clear. You know, we could accept them. But choosing without clear evidence felt impossible. And to be honest, the next morning I broke down, right? You see, because I flash back to the first time that I spoke at Eden in 2019. And it was just before I was to speak that message about God's love for us that Lindsay and I found out that we had miscarried. And here I am, again, prepared to speak. And we're facing this situation. And I'm talking about hope. Felt responsible, and I know, I know that sounds crazy, right? But logic doesn't always win. And I asked God, why? Why must I always speak out of a place of deep pain? Is this what my wife has signed up for? I mean, Lindsay put her faith, her hope, her life on the line to believe in a different outcome, and I pleaded with God. I pleaded for him to reveal to her who he is as he's shown to me time and again in the past. After I composed myself, the tone of the morning changed. We had worship music playing throughout the house. Bill Wickham's Battle Belongs, Crowder's Good God Almighty, and he is. And we felt this weird dissonance an internal confidence that seemed to conflict with the messaging we were hearing from the doctors. We prepared. 
We're prepared to take in the next results and fight if we must. I want you to know that before we ever stepped foot in that office, the battle was won. Not only, not only did God take the decision away from us, the first result indicated a misdiagnosis. A second result later that day said the same. A third test the next day said the same. And a fourth test the next week was definitive. And as I reflect on this story, I'm tremendously proud of my wife. The strength that she showed and demonstrated through it all was remarkable. We're so thankful for the peace to know that we made the right choice. If Lindsay didn't have hope, that there was a possibility of a misdiagnosis. There was a possibility that the doctors were wrong. We would have to live that consequence long-term. We experienced a wide array of emotions as we processed out what happened. But it was during one of our conversations that Lindsay said something that unlocked the parable of the millions for me. She said, if it were not for my faith, this could have all went differently. And this dichotomy of outcomes is exactly what we see displayed in the parable of the millions. All of the founders were working from the same information. They all knew that the investor reaped where he did not sow and gathered where he scattered no seed. But for the first investors, their view of the, for the first founder, their view of the investor enabled them to have confident hope to step into the uncertainty. And for the last founder, his view of the investor caused him to fear the expectations that were set for him. And instead of stepping into the uncertainty, he buried the money in the ground. And for Lindsay, what she knew about God in that moment and what she believed about who he is gave her the confident hope to step into the uncertainty. She believed that God could show up. She believed that God could bring clarity to that moment. And we weren't reckless, right? Like, we took precautions. We stood ready to act with urgency in case something went wrong. But what, the one thing that we didn't do in that moment was give up hope. And for you, there are circumstances you will face in life where your view what is possible can drastically change the outcome. Look, I know personally 
to wealth. Not every story ends how we hope. And I'm, I'm not one that's prone to hopeful feelings. <laughs> you see, my superpower is, is my ability to take the information I have and dream up the possibilities and, and, and see the potential terrible outcomes. But my weakness is that I spend more time focusing on those terrible outcomes and trying to prevent them <laughs> than I do hoping for the best outcome. And I know that this has leaked into my relationship with God. Because I protected myself by not expecting God to show up. If I don't expect God to show up, then I won't question why he didn't, right? If I'm prepared for the worst outcome, then the outcome can only get better, right? Well, not long after our story Artist, activist, and author Lecrae posted on social media, expecting the worst outcome doesn't protect you from hurt. It robs you of hope. And that hit home. Because while I've tried to protect myself from hurt, I've allowed fear to rob me of hope. Further, I've been robbed of the opportunity to give hope to others through our story. And like the founder in the parable, I am guilty of taking what God has entrusted to me and burying it in the ground instead of seeing what God can do with it through me. Bet I'm not the only one hearing this message that has done the same. I share all of this because having hope doesn't mean you have it all together. It doesn't mean that there isn't fear and doubt. It doesn't mean that we ignore reality and set aside facts. Lindsay shared with me a video of someone with a similar personality type that said to live with hope, she had to turn her what-ifs into even-ifs. Even if the worst scenario happens, how is God calling me to respond in this situation? Martin Luther said, even if I know that tomorrow the world would go to pieces, I would still plant my apple tree. Even if, fill in your worst case scenario. What will you do? How is God calling you to respond? Eden had a sign when we met at Blackford Elementary that said the future is full of hope. And that is true. And that is true because right now, 
is full of hope. And it may not feel like it. It may feel like every situation in life is working against you. And in my darkest moments in the past weeks, I wondered how I could seriously stand here tell you about hope when I was struggling to have it. But I realize that it's only because of those darkest moments that I can tell you confidently there is hope. And as hard as I try to give you that hope, it's you that have to make the choice. It's you standing in the net of your story. And your view of what is possible starts with what you believe about Jesus, who he is, what is possible through him. And I can tell you what the Bible says about who God is, who Jesus is. He stopped at nothing to establish a relationship with you. He laid down his own life to take on the mistakes of your past and your future. And there is no good that you can do to establish what has already been restored on your behalf. And there is no mistake you can make that will ever change his view of you. And I can tell you what I believe about Jesus. I believe that every time I have placed my hope in him, he has been faithful to bring me through. And instead of constantly searching for acceptance, I can work from a solid foundation knowing that I am already accepted. In those moments when you felt hopeless, Jesus had hope for you. He stands ready for you to place your hope in him. And that is a scary decision. But that is exactly what faith is. Confidence in what we hope for. And assurance about what we do not see. And it's no coincidence that these words in Hebrews 11 are followed by what's known as the Faith Hall of Fame. Story after story where people in faith, with hope, stepped into the uncertainty of their situation, believing that something more was happening, something more was possible. They had hope, and now their stories give us hope. If you'd close your eyes and bow your head, if I want to ask you, will you, will you place your hope in Jesus?
And if you felt a tension rise within you when I asked that question, I'm speaking to you. Because that tension is something experienced when you're at a decision. And I felt it. I felt it when I first placed my hope in Jesus. And I felt it when I publicly declared my faith in baptism. I felt it after I walked away from the church and came back for the first time. I felt it as Lindsay and I put everything on the line to move to the Bay Area. And I felt it. I felt it. And God led me to share this message. My sole purpose for speaking today is to encourage you. Encourage you to have hope. And if you're willing, pray this with me. God, I'm not sure what lies ahead, but I know that you are speaking to me. I'm setting aside the things that have held me back. Today, I place my hope in you. As we continue with heads bowed and eyes closed for a moment, if you're watching online and you prayed that prayer, we want to pray with you. You can type amen in the chat or comment on the video or send us a message. We want to pray with you. We want to be an encouragement to you. You are not alone. And if you are in this room or outside, I don't get to talk with everyone after I speak, but I do, I really do want to pray for you. So if you prayed that prayer, or you just need hope, encouragement in this moment, you just raise your hand for me. I see you. God, you see the hands and you know the hearts. You know the stories. And some are struggling to find hope in a situation that is outside of their control. Some are struggling to find hope in the midst of uncertainty and hope that there's the potential of a different outcome. God, I pray, I pray that you would give them hope. I pray that this community, I pray that this community can be an encouragement. And I pray that as, as more stories are told that they can just be rays of hope. A reflection of who you are to this world, God. Through all of it, may your name be praised and your love, goodness, and mercy shine through. In Jesus' name, amen.